again it's the retrospective episode we welcome you why don't you welcome us into your ears thank you for clicking introduce us to your mind and your mom so cluster tell me a bit about yourself i'm uh i'm, I'm what you'd call a pruner in the business and um, what does that consist of um, contrary to popular belief, I don't prune uh, vegetation or hair. Um, I make my digits prune. Digits is the technical term in the business for fingers. And uh, uh, an interesting fact about pruning is that if you put one hand in the liquid that you'd like to prune your fingers with, the other hand will also prune. So it's it's more of a holistic practice of getting um, of getting the prune reaction from specific viscosities, and I specialize in um, blood pruning. So I've I've made it quite extensive career out of blood pruning. Um, if you can think of basically any animal that creates blood, and some that don't, I've pruned in it, and uh, I can tell you that uh, coagulation steps in to interrupt a good five, five or ten times out of ten. Um, so if you're looking to get to get that big money like I am, uh, I'm going to say that you're going to have to start small. Get a hot tub or a bathtub and uh, try a bath bomb that has some red color in it. And that's how you can kind of get yourself normalized to the idea of, of a real a real prune. Um, you should even throw some prunes in there because they're quite viscous when they're absorbed into to liquids. So uh, yeah, if I have any recommendations, clip your, your nails first because you don't want any of that mixing in with the blood. It just helps it coagulate. Back, okay. Back to you. Okay, cool. That's nice. I'm glad we know that. Yeah. Do you know why the hands prune? Yeah. Okay, so I'm sure you all know what geckos are. Sure. Geckos are like uh, really soft lizards. And uh, n- no one really they knows. They smile. They smile a lot. They have this weird cheesy smile. That's kind of why I got into the business. And um, so like evolution made them small and, and, and soft. But also gave them really weird hands. Um which kind of feel like cat's tongues, but in reverse. And so, I don't know if you know this about humans, but we got the same thing. But it only happens when we're in water or other stuff that's kind of viscous and wet. 
So the idea is that if you're trying to climb out of uh, a, a rock quarry where you're drowning because your, your cousin pushed you in 1994 without any water wings, you could slip less on the rocks as you clamber out to try to push him in in return. So just to let you know, if the, the pruning thing is, is something that's desired, if you're taking a 30-minute, 40-minute, 50-minute shower, a deep clean, keep going because who knows if you fall after heat exhaustion how much pruning you might need to get out of that shower. That's great. Thank you. And um, so tell me, Elvin, what about you? I'm an anthropomorph taxidermist. Could you speak up? I'm an anthropomorph taxidermist. Could you keep it a bit quieter than that? Sure. I'm an anthropomorph taxidermist. That's perfect. Um, now, what what exactly is um, the anthropomorphic part of taxidermy? Well, it's like normal taxidermy only the, the client will often request that we we stuff the animal kind of with a a human vibe I'm gonna say how do you mean by vibe? well we dress them in clothes we get them funny funky hairstyles mm. or funny hairstyles and so they basically look just like animals that are standing on their back legs or are they somehow different they are i like to think humans trapped in an animal's body trapped on a piece of foam trapped on anything i trapped them on and so what's the typical client of a um anthropomorphic yeah, anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic. triad, dermist. Yes. Um, um, what is your typical uh, client, and how much they did they have to invest in this this process? Oh, not much. It's mostly a hobby for me. I really enjoy. Yeah. So you do dressing. pro bono. Pro bono. Pro bono. I mostly enjoy dressing up animals as humans. Celebrities are my favorites. We often have requests for ferrets dressed as Elton John. That's probably the most popular. Do you ever get um, elks dressed as Elton John? Elkin John? It's never happened so it's far. Oh, it's okay. Um, and uh, what about um, Matt Damon as a rat? Do you ever have any rat Damons? We've done many rat daemons, yes. They normally become very popular when one of his new movies has come out. So you have rat Martians, um, Saving Private Rat, rat Ratten, Saving Private Ryan, um, as a rat. Can you take my job a little more seriously, please? I just have a hard time. When you do such scientific, serious work as, as a prunologist, to see someone mutilating rat skins for perverse work is work lady
was wearing a lovely suit. I was sure of it. Anyway, by the time I got to the supermarket, all I had on was a vest and me braces, not attached to anything in particular. They were just dangling around like some sad tinsel on a lamppost in February. No underclothes to speak of either. Old Roger Daltrey was out for all to see, although he'd obviously seen better days. Looks like a newborn mouse now, all scared. Anyway, I had no idea why I was even at the supermarket, but I thought I might as well not waste the trip. It was a little awkward whenever I had to fetch something off the bottom shelf. I'm sure the happy shoppers wouldn't have had much trouble imagining what Mr. Miyagi's sock looked like. That's all I can say about that. I mostly bought what I saw, just throwing organic balloons and rusty Tupperware into my basket. I also got one section of a garden fence. The freezer section was the most difficult part of the trip. I'm only just over four foot nine, so you can only imagine the horror children's faces when they're excitedly looking for ice cream and they get a face full of Gollum's ball sack. Gasping for air as the rest of me teeters precariously over the glass cabinets. I didn't even get any Frozens. As you can imagine, I'm getting on a bit now. My sack and western aren't quite what they used to be. The poor thing dribbles constantly. I don't get half enough fluids in me, so it runs out of me like a sick snail. When it came time to pay for all the rubbish I picked up, I realised I didn't have my wallet. I have to put it all back, but they insisted I leave. Nice of them. must have thought I ought to get home, into the warm. The cashier offered to give me the fleece blanket I picked up, but I told her I've got two at home, and that there were more essential items. managed to jump a free bus home with me wicker fence panel. Yeah, lovely day that was. I got a fact for you. Go on. 
it's um i'll start with a question um why did people wear horsehair wigs 200 years ago because it was much more difficult 200 years ago to shave an indian girl's head and get the hair sent over in the mail maybe depending on where you were in the raj or the american settlers date not exactly true but if you're in washington dc new york london uh, maybe even um, maybe in bristol you could get a white wig powdered white and that was your um, your way through society the reason why is because um, because of Native Americans being raped 500 years ago, syphilis came to Europe. And through that, uh, rich men who had a lot of power started getting syphilis. So you they got it from Native Americans? Native Americans gave us syphilis. What? Yeah, it's one of the only diseases that came from the Americas. Thanksgiving, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, basically, this Thanksgiving, you can thank uh, your local Native American for for uh, that weird uh, cross-eyed look that you get every once in a while. And um, your 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 average European king started donning this this white wig as a way of combating the hair loss that they would get from having syphilis. severe syph yeah in, in uncontrollable syphilis. And it became trendy. It became trendy because the king of England and the king of France at the same time adopted. A white wig, which made it uh, the norm up until the American Revolution. He didn't have a key to the bike. No. But but he was walking towards your bikes. And yeah, you but he wasn't going to steal them. You still felt distinct danger of him potentially coming into the bikes and. Yeah, because he has a beard. But the could he have lifted the seat up and made it unrideable? That's my biggest fear. Just getting on my bike one day and just not being able to ride it because the seat's too high. It's an easy, it's an easy grip. It's a long time one though. You have to really follow the guy. Yeah, but you know that you know that grifters do that too. Mm. They also do that to to get um, a rise out of you. They also do that to try and make you taller. Uh And I've heard stories that they've put in new seat posts that are so high mm. that people have ended up being 20 feet tall yeah you know I've heard it's, it's crazy I can't believe that people are doing that 20 feet tall which is about uh, like 2 meters high right oh no of course like that's I'm two, 2 meters that's no no, no, no. Mm. it's not 2 meters 2 meters is very high up I don't know if you know but like 2 meters is when you 20 start. feet yeah you lose, uh, so oxygen starts going off at like 1.5 meters high. And that's when you kind of lose uh, balance with, with the atmosphere. The stratosphere, I think, is about 4 meters. Where are you getting your information? NASA. Uh, Trump's NASA has translated perfectly. Uh, they sent it all out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, two, four meters high. Um, you're, you're almost to Mars. Yeah, I mean, there's thousands of inches in a in a meter, so it's it's not something to sneeze at. Yeah, hmm. and there's so many different measurements of one meter. Yeah, you know? um, so. I mean, have you ever seen the the French uh, 
house of common measurements. Um, it's huge. It's huge, yeah. It's at least two meters wide. Marcus, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good, mate. Yeah? Johnny just told me that you got fired from Quicksavers. Eh, uh, mate, but what do you do when you have to show up? Uh, I show up at um, three every day. Yeah. They tell me, Marcus, you're not pulling your weight around here, mate. And I say, I'm here three every day. And they say, yeah, but 9 a.m. is when you're supposed to show up, mate. And I think, yeah, but you can't do that, can, can you? In a real society, can you really tell someone to show up at 9 a.m.? What kind of hour is 9 a.m.? It's not even the sun out, mate. I should be at home. And which is what I was doing at the time. And they said, yeah, but we've got like three or four, uh, four check-in lines that are just empty because of you. And I thought, yeah, but it's your fault. You should hire someone to be there at 9 a.m. and then I can come at 3 a.m. and you'll be fine. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but Weasel uh, Jeffrey. Weasel Jeffrey? Yeah, he, he hired me. He knew, he knew what he was doing. Uh, I said, I never wake up before 3. And he said, yeah, you I said that in the interview? Yep, yep, said that in the interview, but uh, you get like... Uh, you get me, and I saw the guy before me, he had uh, an eye that was about as low as his mouth on his face. And um, and it was between him and I. And I think he had about 90% hours disability. So he worked about two or three minutes a week. Uh, it was be okay. between him and I, and uh, yeah. No so, competition. Yeah, no competition. So I'll, I'll be taking this to the, uh, the magistrate in about you reckon you'll get anywhere? I've got a great lawyer. Great lawyer. His well, you know the magistrates are all corrupt, don't you? Yeah. And, uh, let me tell you, the magistrate's eyes, same as, same as the other guys. It was eye, mouth, eye. So, uh, I told myself, easy times. Easy times. I'm gonna go in, say, it's either two minutes a month for me. Um, and uh, the magistrate, I think he... Or she, or she was uh, was on my side because she she blinked. It was more of a it was it was a blink mouth blink kind of situation. Hard to tell if it was a yeah a wink or a... it was a wave maybe like ah. a, a, a studio or a stadium wave. Slow stroke. Slow stroke. Yeah. And uh, so we'll see this weekend for the magistrates. Sweat started to crowd around my eyebrows and sides as the two policemen started quizzing me in the underground car park in Northampton. I couldn't properly hear them over the loud hum blasted out to stop loiterers. Northampton's biggest underground park and ride was famous for three things. Cottaging, hustling antique teapots, and vehicle storage.
whole time we stood there, one of them seemed very agitated. He kept rubbing his nose and blinking very hard. Then he would suddenly open his eyes really wide. His mouth would follow. A faint sound of <coughs> came out each time. I thought I was safe since I had hidden my wares under a Volvo. My story was solid too. I was going to tell them I was just looking for my car. There was some sort of commotion, and I saw another plain-clothed detective by the Volvo estate. I was fucked. I gave the signal to the other street vendors. But Lisa here. With that, I pulled my hands out of my pockets and clapped them together at head height in front of the alarmed officers stood before me. The talcum powder I keep in my pockets formed a huge cloud, and I blew it into their eyes. Then I took flight. I knew they would figure out it was my stash because of the brass photo frames. I always put photos of me in them. I found a Ford Focus, famously the best car to hide under, and it was a sea green colour. Bonus. Two or three hours later I came out, thinking they'd give it up looking. I could see from across the lot that three gentlemen were sat on cardboard in sleeping bags next to the vent which pumped out warm air. It was the police who had stopped me earlier. They were drinking cheap wine from plastic bottles and laughing. The twitchy one had decanted his pruno into one of my teapots and was pouring it at arm's length onto his face. It then occurred to me that they weren't police officers at all. They weren't questioning me and they had outsmarted me once again. of 14, I uh, was listening to the radio, and at that point, I was curious to find out about my homeland, and I, I realized that bestiality was not illegal. Um, and, uh, in Washington? In Washington State, in the northwestern corner of America. Um, I remember watching a movie, Zoo, 
Zoom. Uh, which, which, oh, this is the main focus <laughs> of the the movie. Zoo. Ander. Zool Ander. No, 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 no. Zoo L Ander is a different movie. Zool and Zool Andro, which is so okay. If if you know nothing about my corner of the world, it's very gray. Gray. Uh, and pets are quite important because they supply a sort of un unbridled energy that humans can't supply because of seasonal affective disorder. And they tend to eat the pet food. So if you have an abundance of pet food, they'll take care of exactly, it. Exactly, because so. um, pate is one of those things that's either goes to mom or goes to Ralph. The, the meat spread. The meat spread, yeah. The, the, the spread that you put on meat. The meat spread? Yeah, it's like you spread it meat that you put on, on, on bread. But I, I don't know if you know that um, bestiality was legal in Algeria in 1966. Yeah, I knew that. What do you think happened before that? Well, I think there was some kind of incredible romance hmm. between one pig and another pig, pig of some kind. <laughs> and um, there was maybe a movie made about it in 1966, which really changed everybody's ideas because they looked at each other and you could tell it was love. They, and they were not. Even while they, they were, were making animals. love. There was no remorse. Do you know what the penalty was, though? For the legal lovemaking? Yeah. Or it, illegal? For the lovemaking, it was... You got a penalty even if it was legal? It was a maximum of three years in prison and a fine of a, a 10,000 Algerian dinners. But you just said it was legal. It was illegal. Oh. It was illegal after 66 and then you incurred... Um, three years in prison and 7,000 Algerian dinners or dinars. Penetration legislation, which is one of the most horrifying concepts I've ever heard of. Yeah, I like that. The, <laughs> the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that the country's current legal definition of bestiality only bans penetrative sexual acts. Does that mean that cunnilingus with a donkey is legal? Does that mean... Uh, okay. You know, this is... So this these are penetrating... Can you give a rim job to an orangutan? Can you give a suck job to a sloth's tail? Can you finger a falcon? Can a ringtail lemur give you a foot job? The, the real big question is, can you be penetrated by an animal? Is this excluding... Uh, they penetrate you, yeah. Can they, yeah, can they penetrate? Because that's voluntary. Because that, that, I mean, if you, you couldn't... If you were, let's say, taking a hike out in the forest and something were to happen, could you be then uh, imprisoned, legal or illegal, in Canada for uh, you know making the simple mistake of taking the Cascade Trail north? We can all fall over. We can all fall over. And but... tear our pants at the same time. Yeah. It's just one of life's if mishaps. If you've fallen near a cactus, you'll find uh, you'll just be... All right, let's see. Um... No. Nope. This particular Christmas party that we went to was at a place called Butte Chaumont in Paris, which if you don't know about Paris at all, because you might be a fucking loser. Um, or poor. Hey. Or poor, yeah. I'm here on the scene with Roxelin Kunst. Tell me, Roxelin, what have you seen today? 
I haven't seen very much, but I know that my my neighbour has uh, apparently perished. I would have loved to say thank you very much, John Hunter, for um, the Christmas pie that you gave me the last year. He was a very quiet man, but I feel like they always say that he's a quiet man. And I would uh, say that he was sometimes loud, and when he was loud, he was funny. Um, so, uh, here's to next year when we'll all think of you, John Hunter. Thank you very much, Lindsley Dale. You will be um, mentioned at, at 4pm. Now we're here in the crime scene with a few of the associates of John Hunter. Yes, I'm uh, Mark Moore. I was a neighbour of John Hunter. Uh, basically, I knew nothing about him. He didn't really talk to me. He didn't talk to anybody. Uh, most people talk to me because I'm probably the most um, involved in the Neighbourhood Watch programme in the street. But John Hunter didn't really seem to care to... my liking. Um, anyway, we managed to break into John Hunter's house. Uh, it was quite simple, wasn't it? Um, it was. It was. It was very simple because we know that uh, John Hunter was such a fan of uh, home repair. We saw that his his door was already off the hinges and ready to be uh, fully repaired and uh, closed. Yeah, as you can see just here, um, the 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 hinge is completely broken, and um, you'd never say that he was a man who was off his hinges. But he, at that time, took his door off his Clearly, hinge. Clearly, yeah, he he had actually taken literally his doors off the hinges, so by force as well. So by force, and uh, the the splinters show at, at what uh, point he was he was into his hobby. And uh, as we enter his his salon, we see on the wall that he had he had started to paint. Um, at least the western half of his uh, salon. Could you tell me about that? Yeah, so he hadn't actually started to paint it. I think you'd misunderstood what, what that is. It appears that John really liked to shoot uh, guns in his house. You're talking about ski? Sorry? Ski. You're talking about ski? Ski's like uh, the thing that you shoot at. Ski. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Ski. I mean, he. Yeah. Ski. Ski. It's like um, a thing you throw and you shoot at it. No, 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 no. He, he. Sorry, there's a misunderstanding here. Uh, I think John just shot his gun. Ah, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't pigeon shooting mm. in his own house. That would be. It would be a bit a bit hard. Um, however, we did see a lot of blood on the walls, but we, being his neighbours, we know that he liked to bleed. Mm. There was there was blood almost in every bedroom, 
uh, we noticed. And strangely enough, there was no furniture, there was no valuables of, you know, there was, there was maybe half a roll of toilet paper rolled out along the stairway. Um, but nothing nothing else of value to, to speak of. So I, th- I feel like this was just <laughs> typical John. Typical John. No Frigo, no uh, couch, because he felt that that would mess with his hemorrhages. He didn't sit down, yeah. Uh, no toilet paper, because... You know, uh, whenever I saw him going into his house, he was never sitting down. Never sitting. He was always walking into his house, never sitting into his house, which uh, is uh, quite usual for a human. But, uh, but I'd it? like to see you do otherwise. And uh, he would always be... Uh, you know, <laughs> you you always be pouring water it's okay. in it. It's okay. A glass, to drink from it. He was always. Did, he drank water, yeah. Did drink a lot of it. About four or eight cups a day, as provided by the FDA. He drank a lot of that water. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Hey. I'm so sorry. It's okay. They drink okay. a lot of water. <laughs> you remember when his friend Dan Smithson came over? Yeah. He, he, he Dan, he drank so much water as well. Yeah, he drank a lot yeah, of water. he drank yeah. a lot of water. But that's how we all were. He came to clean up. He, he was very thorough I, about I, one certain area. Yeah. About one certain area. And he had this magical way with chopsticks. He could pick a bullet out of a wall yeah. like it was a bug out of his own butthole. fried rice butthole. And um, he didn't say much. He just said, hi, I'm Dan Smithson. Bye. And he kept that was saying, about it. I'm, I'm Dan Smithson. Dan yeah. Smithson. With a very strong accent, but I couldn't tell the accent. Yeah, it, it was, was just strong. It, it was it was bonded. I'm Dan Smithson. I'm Dan Smithson. I have killed nobody. Hello. Yeah, he said yeah. that every time. Which yeah. is catchphrases are not unknown to us. And anyway, it was it was it's difficult to if he even if you could see the funeral, you you. Uh, I tried to look him up on Facebook now. Yeah, there's he, just too he, many of them. He doesn't have it. I tried to enter interest. Uh, no one, Dan Smithson, didn't come up with anyone. Typical. Typical. But we went to the police with our findings. Um, house completely clear. No evidence of any foul play. Friend dead. That's what we told the police, and they said, "Yeah, all right. That's pretty okay." Friend did. Yeah. Happens all the time. I mean, we, friend. we did ask uh, Dan what John was like, but he was he was too shy. Well, he, he, he told us. Shy. But he he was clearly too too emotional, I think. he It was too True. soon. It was too soon for him. He to, was a bit closed to, off. To talk about. Same time, he told us um, Dan was um, quite histrionic all the time. Which which we can agree with, but he was sure. He told us um, Dan was always like, ah, 
Don't kill me! Ah. Yeah, um, apparently that was one of John's favourite lines. Oh my god! You gotta stop trying to kill me! Stop doing that! I'm gonna bleed to death, man! Um... Oh yeah. Only your best like friend. Like we're gonna know. believe you, John. Yeah. You bleed all over the place. God. You're damn bleeding. It. That's what he told us, uh, yeah. uh, Dan. And Dan was a very charming guy. He did, you know, he seemed like he would tell the truth. And then they hey, got to nowhere. I just seen a dead rat in the toilet. I don't want to say it. Because I think the CIA are looking at me mm. because they know I'm smart. And who else would look at a smart guy besides the U.S. government? Harry Potter and the Bucket of Burning Bleach Chapter 1 Gary's head was hurting. It was 3.30pm and the nasty sting on his lightning bolt scar caused him to stir uncomfortably in his bed. The light in his basement flat didn't help. The winter fog, which had been swirling around London all day, meant that his flat had been in the dark for most of the afternoon. He rubbed his head slowly and moaned as the sting got worse as he turned over. Fucking hell, he muttered as he slowly opened his bloodshot eyes. Then, all of a sudden, Fucking hell! His eyes burst wide open as they caught sight of the clock on the bedside table. Scrambling to his feet, Gary looked around his dimly lit flat for his clothes. After hurriedly putting on his jeans, t-shirt and hooded top, he opened his doors and sprinted up the paved steps towards the bus stop. Oh no, not again, not again! Gary repeated over and over with his head in his hands as he waited for the bus. His scar was now pounding his forehead as his hangover worsened. After 30 minutes, his bus arrived at the gates of Dogwarts Primary School, and Gary sprinted through the concrete entrance towards the classrooms for year six. Running down the hallway, he skidded as he tried to stop in front of his son's classroom and quickly opened the door. His son, Albus, was sitting at the front of the classroom, still at his desk with his back facing his father. Oh, mate, I'm so sorry, Gary said as he entered the classroom. Albus turned slowly to him. His untidy brown hair barely covered the look of disappointment etched on his face. Dad, where have you been? Oh, I'm sorry, mate. I had to go see Auntie Hermione to go get some cash and the traffic was a... School finished at three today, Dad! Albus interrupted sharply. I've been here for a whole fucking hour by myself! Albus! yelled Harry. Don't use that language with me! Before Albus could reply, however, a 
a figure snuck quietly into the back of the class and started to speak. Well, 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 Gary Potter, late? I would never have believed it. Oh, shit, said Gary under his breath as he recognised the silky voice of Draco Malfoy. Hello, Malfoy. That's Mr Malfoy to you, Potter, started Draco. And do you realise that Dogwart's primary is not the leaky cauldron? Neither do we serve butterbeer here, nor do we stay open until two in the morning. School finishes at three o'clock in the afternoon. It is now half past four in the afternoon, which means you are late to pick up your son. Yeah, um, I know, I know. I had some, uh, I had some errands to run, replied Gary. Errands, said Malfoy with a small smile. What errands could be more important than picking up your beloved son from school on time? Were you picking up discounted bleach to sell at that market stall of yours? He finished his sentence with a raised eyebrow. We, um... We only sell uh, uh, premium uh, cleaning products at my stall, Gary replies, now glaring back at Malfoy. And now um, w- w- we have to go. C- come on, Albus. Gary took his son by the hand and left the classroom as fast as he could, deliberately avoiding to look at the twisted grin on Mr Malfoy's face as he left. Whilst walking down the corridor, Albus looked up at his father. Dad? Why do you and Mr Malfoy hate each other so much? Um, not now, Albus, said Gary as they walked out of the school gates. I'll, uh, I'll explain another time. Despite his son's disappointed look, they continued to walk down the road until a low, thunderous sound cut their silence. Dad, what's that noise? said Albus. The pair turned around to find a motorbike heading towards them on the road. As the motorbike came close, Gary noticed the large figure on top of it. It came to a stop directly in front of them, and the gigantic, shabbily-dressed man on it said, Hello, you two. Fancy a lift? Episode 2 of Like Herding Smoke. These episodes should be coming at you at least once every two weeks, four times, or likely, weather permitting, sometimes every fortnight to monthly and bi monthly. Please remember strict dress code optional. surveys say it's good to listen goodbye from us